this is Andy. And this is Chelsea. Welcome to Hugging and Learning, the podcast on which we rewatch very special episodes from the past to see what they have to teach us today. And today, folks, it's a very special episode of our very special episode show. We are going to be looking at The Bicycle Man, episode of Different Strokes, uh, season five, episode 16, that aired originally February 5th, 1983, and was written by Blake Hunter, which brings us right into a really weird Euro what? Euro what? Uh, Blake Hunter wrote a ton of stuff and created a ton of stuff, including Who's the Boss? But I think the you wrote what is even more important than that because he also wrote the lyrics to the Who's the Boss song. Wow. Brand new life around the bend. Wow. That is, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say the combination of creating a show and being the lyricist for the theme song. This may be the only time that this has ever occurred in history besides Rachel Bloom. Fair. Absolutely. But that's a no, no, because um, who did it? Gene Roddenberry wrote the uh, Star Trek theme song because uh, he took a lesson from um, Gilligan's Island. Gilligan's Island, nobody made any residual checks except for the people who sang the theme song. Oh. And so Gene, there's like a a popular trend in the 60s and 70s where it's like, if you're going to do your own show, Write your own theme song. Then you're getting two checks at the same time. Oh, my God. All right. Well, accumulated wisdom of the ages here. We pass on to you. Budding writers, if you get a sitcom deal, make make sure sure you write write the theme song. You can watch all the different strokes on Amazon Prime or Hulu with the stars add-on. So you can watch it on stars Mm. if you just happen to have stars. But if you're me and you added stars to your Amazon Prime so you could watch the Seduced documentary, then you can watch all of it um, the on Amazon Prime. Seduced documentary, friends? Yeah, about, the, about uh, Nexium. Oh, right, right, right. I watched the other Nexium uh, documentary and yeah. I've had enough Nexium for it's a little It's a real while now. fire festival Theranos situation where you got to watch both Absolutely. companion it's pieces. Like if, if sometime in like May they'd been like, hey, Tiger King 2, I'd have been like, mm mm, mm mm. That's a 2021 problem. <laughs> That's, I, I, I put in my Tiger King time already. Speaking uh, so of putting Chelsea, in your time. <laughs> seg, way, two, go. Seg, way to go. Um, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step all over your segue. It's no, so yeah, seg, way to go for me. Um, so this is a, a bittersweet moment for me and Andy. Um, this is our hundredth episode of hugging and learning. We're going to do the bicycle man is in two parts. So we're going to do two mm. final, uh, episodes about it. One hundred and one Oh one. And that will be the end of hugging and learning. Um, yeah. yeah, we feel like we've had a good run. We've discussed a lot of things that we wanted to discuss. Um, it, it's just that we both, you know, as creative people living in a pretty uncertain time, we just need to expend our creative energies in different directions now. And also there are uh, roughly 5 billion podcasts since the pandemic started. So you you have no shortage of other places to listen to people talk about TV. Calm down a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Can can you leave a little bit of the entertainment field for the rest of us? Right. Yeah, it's it's definitely been uh, a bit of an oversaturated market, especially this year. And just... You know, it, it, 100 uh, feels like a good place to, to, to you know, stop. And this seems like the best possible episode to stop with. It truly does, because this is the episode that inspired 
Andy talking to random people about this episode of television is what inspired this podcast to begin with. So it feels uh, apropos that we should cover it on our way out. And uh, in watching it last night, I realized that what why I would originally talk about it was because of how poorly formatted this uh, episode was. But turns out there's a different version for syndication that pushes everything together. And when we get a little later on in the episode, I'll tell you how the misguided way that they did that for this episode that makes it a, a real, even more of a tragedy somehow. Um, but yes, absolutely. I think that this is an uh, appalling episode of television for so many reasons. Um, but the biggest one is why we, what we've been talking about this entire time on the podcast, which is they've taken a very serious issue and crammed it into a sitcom show that doesn't have time for that or sort of the wherewithal and there's also like a very prevalent laugh track. Oh my God. The laugh um, track is oh, it's, its own thesis subject. Um, truly. But before we jump into this uh, miasma of mm-hmm. good and bad intentions, do you got a snack over there? I do. We're uh, going to make this the final Josh Miller Memorial snack time hour. And I have, uh, I haven't been saving it as much as I've been avoiding it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Josh uh, earlier in the year, Ah, uh, can you remember earlier in the year? I can't. Barely. Um, a bunch of snacks from New Zealand, including this uh, bubble gum that's called Camel Balls. Gross. They are first things first, gluten free. Oh. Second thing, extra sour. And what I've just noticed here on the side of the package is liquid filled. Oh no. Yeah, it's not. This isn't going to be a pleasant experience at all. But you know, thanks, Josh. And Why is gum liquid-filled? Any gum liquid-filled? Well, there used to be uh, a, a gum that was just that. I can't remember the name of it. Chulets? I don't remember. It was, a, it was a real ploy in like the 70s, so I'm assuming because New Zealand is 50 years behind our culture, they're just getting that technology. 50 like, years oh. ahead in terms of virus response. Hey-o! Well, <laughs> hey, take, well they defeated a bunch <laughs> of orcs and shit like that, so they, they know what they're did, doing. They did, so they were just like, this is nothing. Nah. We have a... We have a female prime minister who, like, <laughs> kicks all kinds of ass. She's basically Arwen plus Awen plus, yeah. plus Aragorn, so. Wow. What I a like. fucking nerd. I really, are. really <laughs> what like What a goddamn nerd you just turned out to be. My former stepbrother's middle name is Aragorn, but you've beat him today. What? Fucking, yeah. That's not the his least. fault, though. It's not, nor is it, uh, he, he didn't also, didn't take up the mantle of it either. <laughs> Did that it's landscape a big name architect. to end up too. Truly. So, uh, before we start on this episode, number one, thank you all for being with us on this hugging and learning journey. It's been so much fun to do this over whatever two, three years? years, two and a half oh years. Yeah, uh, hundred episodes is is a ton, uh, and this has been uh, an awesome thing to do. Um, and with that, speaking of segues, I'm going to launch right into, hey, everybody. Oh, wait, we're doing snack first, right? Yeah, you got to. I'm sorry. I saw you try to just glide right over the camel balls, but you I have really to did. try them. Sorry. Okay, say, well, let's. You say that again, Chelsea, but this time say it slower. Go away. Oh, no. <laughs> what do they look like? They look like little balls. Uh, Hold on, I'll, I have to see myself view. So, it's like brownish, and there's God. a bit of a cleft in them. It looks like 
bread kind of like who wants gum that's the color of bread they've colored it to be <laughs> the shade of a camel i know and they've shaped like, it alike some testicles do beige, you have a fact, by the way? i do but i'm gonna say before our second half of this thing it's very wise all right well here goes this horrible idea <laughs> i don't like any of that i don't like any of this there's too many flavors Oh, the texture! <laughs> He's having a seizure. All I can think about is balls. <laughs> what? There's a. Was that? Was that savory? Oh, gross. Is it? It's like mostly sweet, but then there's like this weird back end umami flavor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing this away. Gotta go. Bye. That was my favorite. Mis- since Andy ate the ghost pepper queso. That's that's true. Truly. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm a source of entertainment for when I hate things. Uh, yeah, there was a weird back end to that that tasted like, I don't, I don't know, but it tasted like a smoky barbecue flavor. And I'm like, I'm done with this. I don't, I don't want to know any about it. No. Uh, no, no, the taste is there for it. So thank you, but no, thank you, Josh. Thanks, but no thanks, Josh. Business in the front, none of my business in the back. There you go. Um, uh, yeah, so the bicycle man. You ready to yeah. do this? I'm no, but uh, we will anyway. First things first. I, this is a very uh, serious topic that Different Strokes is taking on, and guess what? They don't do a great job. And I realized when I was rewatching this for the I don't know 100 billionth time that everything that I find funny about it is in the absurdity of the way that it's presented. However. I wanted to throw out a quick warning ahead of time that we're going to be joking about an episode that has to do with uh, sexual abuse. So if that doesn't sound like it's going to be your version of a fun time, um, even though we're going to be talking about the format and not the the subject, of course, um, yeah, trigger trigger warning. I mean, it's it's a lot. It's it's a very for all of its faults, it's a pretty drawn-out, nuanced process uh, yeah. through which this this character grooms his victims, and we're going to talk about the whole thing. So, yeah. if that is um, if that is something triggering for you, or if you have um, I don't know why you would play this for your kids ever, but if there are kids present, maybe not. Maybe this um, is well. I mean, you know, watch the episode, see what you think. Yeah. Uh, but also, don't don't show it to your kids. Yeah, it's a uh, um, it's unpleasant. Thinking of uh, speaking of uh, incredible segues, let's uh, let's talk about a goddamn episode of television. Let's do it. This is one of the most written about very special episodes of TV because I think it scarred a lot of people. So unlike sure. some of the ones we've done where I couldn't find any. To- <laughs> for lack of a better word, scholarship about uh-huh. it on the internet. This has been written about a lot, and there's a very good AV Club roundtable about it where a bunch of AV, oh. different AV Club writers talk about their different impressions. And what I like about that article is that it varies widely. Like, some people think it does a pr- this episode does a pretty good job, and some people are like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's worth a read. Of course, I'll link to it, and I'm going to quote from it a little bit. Um, but the quote that I would like to kick off our discussion with is one that mm. says, um, While the very special episode isn't singular to this decade, the 1980s were rife with them, and almost no sitcom short of Blossom went to the very special well as often as different strokes. To analyze the bicycle man is to analyze the mechanics of the very special episode trope. So here we are. That's what we do. 
this this is I, it. I, this I, is I the- agree. And to piggyback off that sentiment, I think that I've talked since we started this podcast about how Different Strokes is sort of the embodiment of the very special episode. Like, by the this, this is their the middle of their run. Mm-hmm. It's like season five, so we're, we're about halfway through. And every other episode is something topical or something. It's Different Strokes really latched on to the uh, special episode format, but never quite dialed down their comedic tone mm-hmm. as a result. So you end up with a lot of like more and more emboldened topical discussions, but still in the sitcom format. So much so that when you get to the end of the series, there's one about uh, the their stepbrother. Like uh, Mr. Drummond gets married and the woman that he's married, their kid gets kidnapped. Yeah. And that's like a two-parter episode, and it's just, it's bonkers. Yeah. It's nonsense. Um, so the, the Ordinary World, just quickly, we've talked about this show a lot, but in mm. case you're um, still somehow unfamiliar with different strokes, this the premise of the show is that Arnold and Willis, two brothers from a poor part of Harlem, move into a Park Avenue penthouse when their mother dies. They're taken in and eventually adopted by their mother's former employer, who's a rich businessman named Philip Drummond, and he has a daughter named Kimberly. Um, When they start the show, Willis is a teenager, and Arnold is a a single-digit child. Um, Mm. But by this point, we're we're in season five. He's about to turn 12. Yeah. Yeah, and Willis is firmly at the end of his high school career, it seems. And Kimberly, too, because they're, they're about the same age. About the same age. It's like the theme song says, Chelsea, the ordinary world doesn't move to the beat of just one drum. No. Nope. What might what be might right be for you a, might not be right for some. Maybe a, 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 an ordeal for a first time. <laughs> um, this particular episode of the show starts with actor Conrad Bain, mm-hmm. no relation to Ken Bain, the drug dealer. Um, staring worth, straight. Worth clearing up. <laughs> worth noting. Now, I didn't get this. The the source that I watched it on, I did not get this PSA. Oh. I couldn't find it. Yeah, so he stares straight at the camera, and he says, Tonight, uh, Different Strokes, is, we're starting a special two-part show on a very sensitive subject, and he says... You should, parents and kids should watch it together and then have a conversation about the subject matter, which we're all very concerned about. And mm. who boy, you know, it's a very special episode when you get this actor appeal before the show yeah. instead of after. So it's almost Does like a trigger he... warning, though it's not that because he says, watch this, family should watch this together. But it is like, a, all right, buckle up. This is going to be a lot. Yeah, that always, that feels like the the standard format for you know that that's always the sentiment for these these types of episodes was like watch it with your family and then talk about it afterwards right. it's like it, it's it's we talked about it before where it's just sort of a weird advertising thing where it's like hey you got a family all of your family will need to watch this show yeah it's must see tv i mean this the cynical interpretation and there's one one of the writers talks about this in the roundtable article is that season five, the kids are getting older, they're starting to get less cute, they're trying to do, their viewership is falling off, and Different Strokes mm. is trying to do ratings grabs with these crazy episodes that are like, sure. must-see TV, stop everything and watch, the safety of your family depends upon you are watching our TV show tonight. Right. Um, which is probably the sort of the most cynical interpretation, because part of me watching this episode thinks... 
clearly at least some people involved with this really do think this is a problem and yeah. that America should be informed. Also, um, it's it's painfully drawn out, uh, which is a point that will come up very uh, numerous times in my notes, at least. There is a lot to this where they didn't... Like, once they, they decided on this topic, for whatever reason, or whatever combination of reasons, they actually went for it. They were like, we gotta, we gotta make this a realistic representation of the, the child grooming process. Truly, truly. They, they really do. Um, but I, I can't get that out of my mind. It was, you know, early 80s. The TV was, like, quite a battlefield at that time. So, sure, if anything gives you the edge, go ahead and traumatize an entire generation of children. Yeah. All right, the show starts with the gang entering the shop of the bicycle man, Mr. Horton, which is already putting us on uncertain ground because we usually, I mean, almost every episode start either at school, at Arnold's school, or at the penthouse. Right. Starting in this bicycle man shop where we've never been before, is it's already uh, very special. Uh, also putting us off on a weird uh, uh, start is the fact that Mr. Drummond has rented these bikes. Yeah, so th- this is a New York thing, though. I mean, they have is a it? fucking penthouse. Oh, yeah, because you don't have room to store a bike in your tiny New York apartment, most people. No, but if you, I'll say this, though, as a rule of thumb, uh, as it's been explained to me, if you have enough money to afford statues to adorn your staircase, mm-hmm, 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 you can probably mm-hmm. get some bikes. I hear you. you. Probably get some bikes. Um, now it's all like city bikes and like hourly bike rentals, but they're always near Central Park and like near the touristy spots. They've always been bike rental places um so they they've rented bikes four bikes two hours 20 28 dollars um they have been biking through central park and they have come to return their bikes to the bicycle man uh and his name is mr horton and he enters juggling and everyone is charmed they just love him so much they come here every week and rent his bicycles and he makes them laugh and he he has this self-deprecating humor where he's like, yeah, I used to be in the circus. I was the human cannonball. And then he pats his stomach and he's like, until the ball got too big for the cannon. And he'll joke See, about how he's bald and he'll, you know, he makes these little self-deprecating things that put people at ease. Right. And it's the repeat viewing is what really does this a disservice because immediately knowing what the subject matter is or having seen it before, you're like, oh boy, this guy and everybody loves him. And it's so grisly to like listen to everybody laughing at this horrible man <laughs> yeah. like, do his thing to ingratiate himself into the lives of others. It's really gruesome. But no, I think this is important because a big part of grooming starts with the parents. Um, sure. Which I, you know, I we've talked about this a lot. So therefore, I've as a byproduct done a bunch of research and I did some more for this episode specifically. But normally, the first. The first step in grooming a child, if you're a predator, is to groom the parents so they trust you to be alone with their child. Right. So he's charming the whole family. They think he's so great. And then it turns out, to your point, Andy, that they have discussed buying bikes. But uh, but Dad Phillips says that he doesn't want the kids riding bikes alone because there are a lot of weird people out there. Um, Little does he know. A lot of weird people in here, too, bro. <laughs> okay, so the the idea is... Arnold really wants a bike, and uh, Mr. Horton really wants to sell a bike. They're upselling this incredibly rich dude. Congratulations. Um, and it's decided that Mr. Drummond will get Arnold a bike for his upcoming birthday. 
Yes, he's going to be 12 next month. And Arnold's like, I'll keep it in the garage. At which point I was like, you have a garage in New York City? Fuck off. You're, you're fine. <laughs> Get your kid a bike. Um, also, you have a palatial penthouse. Keep it somewhere. 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 Rent it at its own apartment somewhere else in the building. There you go. So he's like, uh, I'll be very safe. I promise I'll wear all red, you know, so I can stand out. Which, this is interesting because it's like, oh, is it, okay, so clearly... We know that there are weird lurkers. We know that it's dangerous for kids to be out in the world on their own. Yeah. And yet we expect danger as a thing that jumps out of the bushes and not the kindly juggling man at the corner bicycle shop. So Absolutely. Mr. Horton is like, I'd love to sell you this bike. It's on sale for one third off. Uh, and Dada Phillips says, okay, we'll get it. We'll get it next month for your birthday. But the arrangement does not end there. End there. And this is our call to adventure. So up to now, if it just ended there, yes, we're going to buy a bike, then, you know, that's all well within the ordinary world. But now we have a call to adventure, which is Mr. Horton telling Arnold that if he will pass out flyers about the bike sale at school, then Mr. Horton will give Arnold a handlebar radio for free. And he specifically turns to Dad Phillip and says, is it okay if Arnold enters into this business arrangement with me? Right. And Dad Phillip is like, oh, yeah, good. That'll be great. Um, And then Arnold says, and then we get the first of the super creepy jokes. It's, yeah. Arnold says, uh, or no, Mr. Horton says, what's that old saying? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And Arnold goes, you keep coming up with these presents and you can scratch me all over. What are we doing? Yeah. What are we even doing with ourselves? Because this is not the first weirdly suggestive joke. Like, it's obviously Arnold isn't flirting with this guy, and that's not the intention. But when you're reading this script over after you've written it down, aren't you like, hmm, that feels weird to be in here. No, it is the opposite, Andy. It is someone wrote a script that was a very fine example of uh, the illustration of the slow and meticulous grooming project pro- uh, process by a predator on a child, and someone mm-hmm. else went back with a red pin and inserted a bunch of fucking dumb jokes. So but they're it's, not just dumb jokes; they are dumb, suggestive jokes. They are. Again, they are. In yes. in in two scenes, uh, uh, Arnold's going to be given a uh, uh, banana split, and he's like, "My tongue's faster than a hummingbird." It's like. Yeah. It's, look, they're not like on the nose. He's not like, but they, why, why have these sorts of jokes in here at all? It happened so frequently that it made me think someone went through and punched up. Either Blake Hunter did the punching or Blake Hunter wrote a script and someone was like, this is way too dramatic for different strokes. If we don't have Arnold's giving these little witty um, one-liners every page and a half, then what are we even doing here? Which is Punched up, more like punched down. Punched down, which begs the question. I know I'm using that expression Mm -hmm. wrong. I always use it incorrectly, but it it brings up the question, why... Why would different strokes tackle this then? If you can't possibly do yeah. it with, with, you know, for lack of a better uh, phrase, a, a straight face, yeah. then why would you want to take it on at all? This There's is the thing real... is, I truly think if you took out these stupid ass jokes, this would be a very good episode to show to kids. I agree. Absolutely. Um yeah, there's a real sweaty scene in the second part where it's like, we have to get some comedy between Willis and Kimberly. We will shoehorn in the most vaudevillian thing possible. Uh, we have so much room, uh, so much uh, space. Uh, what's the word? We have so much ground to cover. Uh-huh. 
so we go back to the schoolyard is where we see uh, next. Yeah, well, Arnold I want to pe- I want to point out one more quick thing about do it, do this, it, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. about this arrangement of Arnold going to pass out flyers for the bicycle man is that um, the bicycle man has now entered into a business arrangement with Arnold, putting them on sort of an allegedly even footing, sure. which not only gives him access to Arnold's time. Um, but but sets up a relationship between him and Arnold that's outside of his father's purview, yeah. And and also puts them and he will continue to drive this point home. Makes them like peers, makes them equals. Which is he he wants Arnold to think of them that way because it's yeah. crucial to how the rest of his plot plays out. So it really it's, it does it starts now like it starts yeah. in this moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and you'll see this play out, but then also you'll see like how it gloms onto Arnold's friend Dudley later on. I mean, it's oh, about yeah. to happen here. It's a good schoolyard where Arnold is trying to pass out these flyers in the worst way possible, which is more or less kicking people in the face and saying, take a flyer. Uh, and Dudley comes up to tell him what the proper technique is, but I already actually know the proper technique. Step throw one, them away. Throw them all away. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's it. That's the end of the <laughs> flyer game, bro. <laughs> they don't have tracking I, devices they, on them. Everybody, everybody loved these, and I got rid of all of them almost immediately. Yeah, if you just tack up a couple on some billboards if you're feeling super ambitious mm-hmm. and then chuck the rest of them in the nearest recycling bin. It's like Mitch Hedberg once said, handing out flyers is just a way of saying, hey, you throw this away. You throw this away. Yep, so this is uh, basically like Hansel trying to pass out flyers to other kids to visit the witch's candy house, yeah. um, basically what's going on. But Dudley has this this natural born salesman ability and he gets the kids to take flyers by basically being like if you get a bike it'll be better than your friends and you'll be the coolest he basically appeals to the survival of the fittest instinct of all the other kids um but dudley isn't doing this just to help arnold out he wants a free bike radio too and so he's like will you introduce me to mr horton so i can get in on this flyer scheme and that charisma coupled with ambition makes Dudley a dangerous person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just pointing it out there. I'm just saying, watch this kid. <laughs> he has a lean and hungry look. Um, that's Shakespeare. So uh, one time, Chelsea, I wrote this down because it occurred to me and I hadn't thought of it since. I was uh, walking around my workplace in East Loop, Chicago, and somebody was hanging out, handing out um, Blue Man Group flyers and did it in the creepiest, most passive-aggressive way by standing in front of me and not moving or speaking until I finally – I was like – I was like, are you doing this because this is kind of the Blue Man Group thing? Because this is just off-putting. And he, he wouldn't say anything. He just stared at me and yeah. like held a flyer in my face. And I was like, I don't – I don't, am I going to punch a blue man today? Is that what's going to happen? Does Wayne Brady have to today? punch a blue man today? <laughs> we go back to the bike shop, oh and Mr. Horton is pleased that the flyers are working, which flyers do not. So I don't, it, it seems to be like very immediate. Well, the first thing that happens immediately before Dudley and, and 
Arnold even get there is that he's ushering a little blonde kid out the door with fistfuls of candy. I missed that. Oh, no. So the very first thing is he there's a little blonde kid there and he's got fistfuls of candy and he's ushering him out the door and he says, better not tell your folks I gave you all that candy. In fact, better not tell them you were here at all. It'll be our little secret. And as we learned from our Mr. Belvedere episode, adults and kids don't have secrets. That's rule number one. Adults and kids don't have secrets. So, I had a real, uh, I had a real inkling to look up the first time that it'll be our little secret was used, and then immediately stopped because I don't want to look that up. But this may be like one of the the very original ones. Like, yeah, I, I mean, it's in case you were waiting for something bad to happen to the kids that you know about on this show to form an opinion about uh, Mr. Horton, you can go ahead and form that opinion right now. Yeah, it's good. it's uh, it's good. You're in you'll be you'll be richly rewarded if you do. <laughs> right. You'll have pointed out a predator. So uh, flyers are working, which they don't work. And I think Arnold floats the idea of uh, Dudley. No, no, no. I'm, first of all, uh, this just look. I'm sure there are perfectly nice people in this world who have a shop and then have oh. a weird bachelor apartment adjoining the shop. But this just screams red flag to me the entire time. It truly does. It shouldn't because this is so, so, so common in New York that, you know, like, uh, especially a hundred years ago, a family bought a whole building and they had their storefront in the front and their their apartment in the back. But it's just too easy for him to get kids back to his home. They come in to buy a bicycle and all he has to do is open one door and they're in his apartment. Um, So he gets he gets Arnold back there. Because he's like, oh, you've done so well passing out these flyers that um, I want to invite you for ice cream um, just just through this door here. And it's full of games to entice oh, this, you. There's like a, this apartment's it's like a, upsetting. Here's what I it, put when I, when I, when I wrote the, the, the notes for this scene. Here are my first, here's my first note. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a gumball place. machine. There's video yeah. games. There's a, uh-huh. an arcade game. There's all kind. I mean, it's just like everything a Toys, kid could lights. would it's latch just, onto. And it looks be like, like I a, want to stay a here misguided a while. Fridays. So Mr. Horton starts making this uh, banana split for Arnold. Very decadent, and he's just like Arnold. Traditionally, throughout the show, has been led around by his his stomach. You know, he's always up for like a good snack or something like yeah. this. So Mr. Horton has found the the way to his heart, uh, and Arnold floats the idea of Dudley being a partner. And Horton's way into it. Yeah, he's like, you see a good guy like you, then let's get him in on this. Um, And this is another upsetting thing where Mr. Horton's like, would you like this ice cream? And Arnold's going, yeah. And he's like, do you want some bananas? Yeah. And I'm like, I hate this. And it went on for like a solid minute. And it's not unintentional. Like someone gave him that direction to make it seem sensual in a way. Like... Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's supposed to be like, oh, if you were, if you were a pedophile, you'd be really into this, which is like, why are we doing that? Why are we doing, why are we making it, all it of us sit through it feels, then? Yeah, it, it feels like the best case scenario of having Arnold unintentionally being seductive around a, a pedophile is just to put some of the fault on him, which is bonkers. Yes. It, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that that's the truth. I'm saying, like, why else would you include these things other than, like, comedic misunderstandings between a kid and a molester? Yeah. So it, so Arnold's eating this gigantic banana split. And again, and Mr. Horton's also eating 
ice cream. So again, they're like doing mm-hmm. the same thing at the same time. They're peers. Yep. Um, and Mr. Horton tells Arnold that he is welcome to come by and ride his soon to be birthday bicycle after school. And Arnold says, wow, Mr. Horton, you sure understand kids. Uh, and Mr. Horton says, yeah, but you, you can come by and ride it after school, but you better not tell your dad because it would spoil your dad's fun. He wants to give you the bike for your birthday. And also you got, might get me into trouble. And Arnold's yeah. like, oh, I wouldn't want to get you into trouble. Um, and this is, to again, to quote the AV Club article, it says that part of the reason that this makes us so uneasy is because of the way that the bicycle shop owner, played by um, Gordon Jump, who was yeah. on a couple of shows at the time, leads Arnold and Dudley to the precipice of hell. Each step is a small, seemingly logical one derived from the previous decision. Because yeah. friendly Mr. Horton never drops his veneer to reveal his sinister, the sinister monster underneath, he's ever and always jovial. But So this is important, right? Because it's just like, it isn't like Arnold showed up after school and he was like, come back into my lair and have ice cream. Yeah. It, Take your pants off. It yeah, wasn't like that, that step cut at and dry. Time. Which is, is as effective as it is... Well, it's just effective because yeah. you're uh, the whole time I was like, this is very uncomfortable. When Arnold says, well, Mr. Horton, you sure understand kids. Oof. That's that's the same as the jokes. That's for us, you know, to be yeah. like, yeah, he sure does. That's acceptable. That's like, a, uh-oh, right. that's some foreshadowing. That's some, that's some, that whole thing. So we go back home and Arnold immediately reveals that he cannot keep a secret <laughs> at all. <laughs> He's terrible at this. He's like, where have you been? He's like, I don't know. I guess I was around. I'm not hungry. Nothing is wrong with me. Yes. It's it's bonkers. Arnold um, isn't hungry, and Philip and Dad Philip and Wallace immediately know that something is wrong. And Wallace comes up with the theory that Arnold probably gorged himself Willis. in the streets. I'm sorry. Will- <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Dad Wall- Philip Wallace? Have I sorry. had this wrong? No, it's okay. It's okay. What are you talking about, Wallace? I don't know why I wrote Wallace. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Were you thinking about Braveheart at probably. the time? Yeah, I'm always. I'm kind of always thinking about Wallace, Sean. Mel Gibson's not uh, far from my thoughts at all times. <laughs> That's probably the safest way to go through your life. I, um, I recently, I'm sorry to interrupt. He could be anywhere. I, I just, this is truly conversational, but it's its its been such a joy for me. Uh, I was listening to, uh, you know, Trixie Mattel and Katya have their own show. And on one of them, uh, Trixie Mattel, whose real name is Brian, uh, mentioned she's, she means that he watched one of these uh, Real Housewives things and from one season to the next, they lost Denise Richards, wouldn't come back. And so the first episode, somebody is like, they're talking about Denise Richards, and somebody was looking out the window and says, I don't know if we'll ever see Denise Richards ever again. <laughs> and now Brian just goes around and says that all the time, just like, and I find myself saying it too. I don't know if we'll ever see Denise Richards ever again. It's so wistful. <laughs> just also, like, she still lives in Beverly Hills. Like, she is still an alive person. I'm going to see her yeah. at the Bristol Farms or whatever one day. It makes, it makes it seem like Denise Richards is a spy or in some sort of international <laughs> intrigue. I don't know if we'll ever see her again. Anyway, sorry, that was really apropos of nothing, but... <laughs> That's the, what we the, do. It's half of this um, podcast. So Willis asks Arnold, uh, did you gorge yourself on street pretzels? And Arnold takes that exit off the interrogation freeway. He's like, yeah, that's what it did. That was it. Sure, yeah. Um, But the thing that we're supposed to glean from this is that Arnold never lies to his family, and this is new, except that Arnold always lies to his family every episode. This is the only episode where he feels bad about it. Yeah. There's at least five seasons and 15 episodes where he's (laughs) lied to his family so far. Yeah, that is kind of silly. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I, I, it, it's a weird, it's a weird shift for this character who otherwise is firing on all cylinders to be like, I don't know about deception though. Hmm. Right. So deceiving people just to get exactly what I want. I don't know. Arnold. That would that be like me making like an me. inappropriate joke. That's wise beyond my years uh, and precocious. What are you, what are you talking about? Life. So Dudley comes over. No, all right, it's fine. That's fine. It felt good. It felt good to say. What are you talking about, life? What are you talking about, life? We'll ever see Denise. What are you talking about, Denise Richards? (laughs) Uh, So yes. So Um, Dudley Dudley comes over. Poor Dudley comes over and asks Arnold, "Did everything work out with Mr. Horton?" And and he and Arnold describes how amazing Mr. Horton's place is, and says he really knows how to treat a kid. And Dudley's eyes get wide. And then we cut to the little shop of horrors, the little bike shop of horrors the next day. Um, And Arnold shows up with Dudley and he's like, this is my friend. And Oops, you forgot. I'm sorry. You forgot something here. The peep box? The watching box? The Norman Bates and Psycho (laughs) Hole? Yeah, that's the one I mean. Cool. You got one of those? Good work. (laughs) Creepiest person I've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah, so Horton's got what looks like a small painting on the wall, but it's a box that he can open like a peephole, but it's much bigger. People. It is. It's a. It's a lack it's like of four, people. It's like a four-inch square. It's just a window. It's yeah. just a tiny <laughs> slatted window. Also, he takes out a cutie magazine. Yeah. A pornographic magazine leaves it on the the coffee table. This guy's like ready to go. This guy. Yeah. Is, no, he's got a methodical. He's a serial predator. I've listened the, to enough true crime to know. Yeah. Uh, when someone has got down to a science like this, they've been doing it a long time and haven't been caught and have perfected their system. Um, I also had a moment of like, cause they show that porno mag, like the front of it pretty clearly to the audience. And I was reminded, I mean, it's blurred out in places, but it's not like you could have just showed a little bit of the top and we would have gotten it. But it reminded me of the episode where we saw Gary Coleman's bare ass on network oh my television. God. And I was like, How they're, could we they're have just not afraid to go there, are they? They showed a tiny child's butt. Yeah. This episode also gets into some inappropriate ground with what they do with their child actors. But we're, we're slowly but surely getting there. Uh, it's rainy outside, so Arnold will not be able to uh, enjoy his bike. And uh, Mr. Horton comes in and says a thing that I don't understand why anybody ever says. But this is the 15th time I've heard about it in my life. Hey, it's a great day for ducks, right? I'm like, fuck you. Uh, yeah. I don't know why that makes me so in angry. puddles or something? I don't know. Yeah. I, I hadn't heard like, it before. I was concerned about them ducks. Is it a good day for them? Yeah, they don't, don't get know. enough good days. Ducks I just feel like that's something no depressives. that... I feel like that's something that Janice in the office would say, and I'd be like, shut up, Janice. We've had enough. We've had enough. That's enough, um, Janice. Not to worry about the good day for ducks, because Mr. Horton has a pizza in the oven mm-hmm. back in his bachelor pad, and uh, he said he's got new comics on the coffee table to make sure that the kids go for those. Yeah. And he says, we've got video games back here, too. And so he leaves them back in his apartment and tells them to make themselves at home and then heads back into the shop. And it mm. takes them 10 seconds to find the cutie's mag and start yeah. leafing through it. They're sure. 11, so they've never seen anything like this before. And basically their their jaws are hanging open and... Uh, Arnold is making a bunch of jokes that a child would never make about how there's smoke no. coming out of Dudley's ears and sure. just, all, just things that like kids don't say. Jo- joke aside, though, Dudley is is ready for corruption. He is just he's like, let me see some more of them nudies. Yeah, it's interesting because this is something that I wondered about and something that happens later, uh, too. And so I did a little bit of research about it. So when it comes up again later when they're watching the pornographic cartoon, I'm going to 
do a little cutaway because um, I was like, eh, what are we doing with this character? Um, it's it's kind of while we're talking about uh, the research that we've done uh, during one of my episode, one of my watches of this episode. Uh, I don't remember when, but uh, recent enough, I reached out to the Reddit community who's good at solving mysteries and checked to see there's a weird poster in the background uh, on uh, Mr. Horton's wall that I couldn't make heads or tails of. And it looks like a weird Jesus-y figure and lights and things like that. And somebody immediately responded on Reddit and said, oh, that's the poster for the original Tarzan movie. Oh, that makes sense. Because Mm -hmm. we're going to get into that. For gross foreshadowing ahead. Gross foreshadowing. But wow, well done, Reddit. So he... So uh, Mr. Horton comes back in and... Uh, he can, he's, he's, uh, you know, oh, I figured out that you guys have been looking at this pornographic magazine and he does a, a perfect, um, what I'm calling a pervert pivot, uh, which he goes from being like, Hey, being naked's not weird. It's fine. And here's some pizza. It's, it's, it's skillfully done for as yeah. gross as his intentions are. I'm just like, wow. And, you know, fucking got to admit, dude, you really have this down. Like he's unflappable. Yeah. He sets them up to be embarrassed because he knows mm-hmm. they're going to be embarrassed. He comes in and embarrasses them by catching them looking Good at call. the magazine and then says, you don't need to be embarrassed. There's nothing wrong. It's natural to be naked, to look at naked people. Heck, most of them famous statues in the museums are naked. Sure. Um, so it's he sets up a situation of which he is in complete control every step of the way. And then he sits on the floor next to them. So they're all on the same level and says, you can have an awful lot of fun with your clothes off unless you live at the North pole. That is gracious. So it's, it's, it's just like every, every sentence is just a tiny bit further toward the edge than the last one. But But it's all cumulative. So it's not, Exactly. It's by it's by such tiny degrees. It's like you know, they say death by a thousand paper cuts. It's that sort of a thing where it's like right. none of these things alone would set off red flags. If you jumped from point A to point Z, you yeah. would realize what was happening. But it happened so slowly and so incrementally that they don't even know what's going on. Um, then he asks the boys if they've ever been skinny dipping. And when they say oh, no... Really? He's like, oh, you're missing out on one of the great joys of life. I got some pictures around here with a bunch of us skinny dipping. You're going to love them. And the audience, this is the first yeah, time the exactly. audience sort of nervously groans they're in like, fear. Wait a second yeah, here. Which, the fact that, I mean, there should not be, there should not be a laugh track for this episode period. Because there, no. Is no, there is no right way to handle this. And we've mentioned it before, but this laugh track is, uh, is going wild. Every single line, especially the ones that are like subtle sexual predator jokes, audience goes wild. Yes. Every single time. There's no like oohs or... Sometimes when we've watched these episodes, they've cut the laugh track like a third of the way in. Sure. Or something. So it's like, oh, this is... Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or they just don't have it. And it's like, oh, okay. They couldn't figure out how to use it. I think this is a live studio audience, but obviously they're being prompted. And... And they just, like, they don't know how to react. They're being told to laugh and applaud for this precocious kid's precocious jokes that are wholly inappropriate to have this subtext they don't usually have. And this is the first time. 
And someone pointed out in the AV Club article that there seemed to be children in the audience. Yeah, for sure. Because you can hear kids laughter. Of course, of course there are. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just so weird. It's just sort of like, don't, please don't make any noise because there's no right way to respond to this vocally. It really isn't. And they should, they should have. Uh, there's a, there's a special episode that we did not get to called A My Name is Alex uh, on Family Ties, where it's about Alex dealing with the loss of a friend in a drunk driving accident, probably. I don't know. Alex confronts his own mortality. I'm pretty sure, if memory serves, they cut out the laugh track on that. Because yeah. he's talking about death the whole time. And there's some funny jokes in there, sure, because it's a comedy, but they aren't like, it's not uproarious laughter. It's, I will say this, though, and I'm glad you pointed it out, because this is one of those times where it's like, oh, the audience is catching on. It's not yes. enough. They certainly, because the next, the next bit is Mr. Horton's like, let's get you guys some wine. And the audience is right back to laughing. It's yes. Like, oh, about boy, the kids boy. drinking. Yes. Yeah, so the, he shows them pictures of himself naked swimming with a bunch of kids. Yeah. And <laughs> Dudley says, that looks fun. And Arnold says, it lacks a certain dignity. <laughs> before shoveling the pizza into his mouth sideways like an animal. Like he, <laughs> I didn't sideways. notice that. It is a beautiful sight gag that has no place in this episode and gets no attention. The audience <laughs> does not laugh. <laughs> but he says, I am amazed at that. <laughs> he says, it lacks a certain dignity. And then he takes this piece of pizza and shoves it sideways into his mouth and is like gnawing oh. on it chaotically. I'm sorry, Chelsea. While you're talking, I'm going to look this up. <laughs> I have to see this. <laughs> it's some of Gary Coleman's finest physical comedy. Truly. Um, so Horton, as you said, then offers them some wine to go with their pizza, telling them that in France, kids younger than them are regular winos. And Arnold, once again, is demurs. He's like, no, thank you, please. Maybe but, I shouldn't drink alcohol at 11. <laughs> at 11. But Dudley's into it, and eventually he gets Arnold to come around. So they're all sipping their wine, and Horton's sitting on the floor with them. Um, and this is just another, like, this is a classic kind of pedophile move is that during the grooming process, you get the kids involved in stuff where if they tell on you, they'll incriminate themselves. Exactly. So at this point they've looked at a dirty magazine, they're drinking wine, their parents don't know where they are. If they go home and tell their parents everything they did, then they're going to get in trouble. So this is how you create a cone of silence around everything that's going on is by getting them to do stuff they know is objectionable. It's going to get them in trouble. So also red wine's a bit of a bold choice for, for children. Why? I don't understand <laughs> the white wine. Come on. That's, I understand that the pizza, it makes a lot more sense. Sure. But that's all. I just, that's all straight I scotch. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, so as they sip their wine, Horton is like, we should be playing some games. We should play this game Tarzan that I know. And it basically is that you guys will act like you're in the jungle. and You'll stand next to my plant. Dudley will take his shirt off and I'll take a bunch of photos. And then, <sighs> and then he says, um, I'll snap some photos. We'll take another sip of wine. I'll snap some more photos. We're going to have a wonderful time this afternoon. And that's where the episode ends. Truly. It, it's, there's, there's... There's subtle moments in here, but it's it's that's basically it is. Take off your shirt. Wow, you look good, child. 
Here, I'll take some pictures. And then, yeah, accompanied by a bunch of jokes where Arnold's talking about how skinny Dudley is and everyone's laughing. And he's like, Tarzan looks like a string bean, da-da-da. And I'm like, no, why? Why do we have these jokes? Don't I do this. I would have felt so much better about uh, humanity in the 80s if by the time we get here or maybe halfway into the next episode, the audience is like mirthless chuckles, just kind of like, you got a weird physique. <laughs> yeah, no, I no. wish the audience got as uncomfortable as we did. As everyone. Throughout. No, but they don't. Um, no. So it's, uh, that's the first part of the two-part Bicycle Man. Um, again, to quote the AV Club, they said, it's worth stating how important it is for the script not to turn Horton into some overtly maniacal figure. Sure. Arnold and Dudley aren't dumb kids that didn't read the signs correctly. Horton simply understood the signifiers and bent them toward his own desires. So I think that's important, and I think the episode does that well. You, a parent, yeah. would not see this person interact with him weekly, as Mr. Drummond has done, and then think oh, my kid shouldn't be alone with that person. You probably, yeah. if Arnold had been like, I'm going to hang out at the bike shop and help and work there, Mr. Drummond probably would have been like, okay, cool. I know that guy. Sure. He seems decent. Yeah. Um, and it isn't that Arnold and Dudley walk in and there's like, he's standing there naked and he's like, let's right. play a game. And they're like, okay. Girl. But they, the, the signs are so tiny that it's only when you see them from a distance and you see yeah. them all put together that it becomes terrifying. That's what Bette Midler was talking about with that song. Mm -hmm. um, warning signs from a distance. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah, it's, there are four, as as misguided as most of the episode seems to be as far as tone is concerned, they make really solid points throughout that are shocking in, in how, like they, they, they go out of their way to make sure that certain things are understood, which makes me think that there must have been some there must have been some force behind this episode and, you know, maybe Blake Hunter, maybe just some other writers or director or something like that who really took the time to be thoughtful about this episode. Mm -hmm. um, and definitely when it, when it wraps up in the, the second part, there's just a lot of things that they discuss and a lot of like, they take a lot of time at the end where usually, you know, our episodes uh, are, well, that problem solved, goodbye, or here's a fun rap song, or here's Kurt Cameron sitting on a buffet and telling us what to think about our lives. Uh, this one, yeah. like, st stops and, and, like, very slowly discusses, like, very the, the different parts and points and, and things to consider about this. Um, so this is the end of uh, the first episode Um uh, is there any way, Chelsea, that we can end this part with, <laughs> with less than disdain and kind of like a bummer feeling? Uh, yes. <clears throat> well, no, but yes. Um, <laughs> I, like, I like your pessimism. We can, yes. Um, we can end by saying that, yes, we all feel gross, but in terms of um, having, as you said, like done their research and attempted mm. to make this a responsible exploration of this topic. Um, I would say that they've done a good job. Uh, the same as you said, there's an article on Oprah.com about the stages of, uh, the six stages of grooming. Um, and we have been through the first four stages in ex the exact right order. Yeah. Um, and very quickly they are targeting the victim in which the offender sizes up a child's vulnerability um, what their emotional needs are, how much parental oversight they have, etc. Um, 
and then picks desirable prey. Basically, all kids are not created equal. They, you know, they're specifically looking for certain kinds of kids. Stage right. two is gaining the victim's trust. Um, they get to know the needs and how to fill them. They generate warm and calibrated attention. So it isn't like you snatch a kid off the street and then you take them back to your lair and molest them. These sort of serial predators, like we talked about, takes a long time because they're gathering information. They're creating a special relationship. Um, they're very disciplined in terms of uh, making sure they, they get it right and they follow all the right steps. Um, step three is filling a need. So in this case, this is Arnold's, very simply, Arnold and Dudley want bicycle uh radios so they get gifts and extra attention and affection um and they uh they become an important person in the child's life and then stage four is isolating the child so they have developed now a relationship in this case a business relationship that is outside the relationship of the like the parents and they um they can spend alone time with the child and make them believe that they're loved or appreciated in a way that others, not even their parents can love and appreciate them. Hmm. And parents sometimes can unwittingly feed on this through their own appreciation for their unique relationship and be like, Oh, you know, this teacher does seem to like have taken an interest in you or this scout leader, you know, does seem to want to take you on extra field trips or whatever. So sometimes parents, because they want what's best for their kids, and also because they think their own kids are great, why would everybody else not think their kid is great? Sure. Um, it can, you know, they they can facilitate the alone time stage because, especially if that person is in a caregiver role already, um, you know, like a teacher or a scout leader or a coach, then it seems like, well, surely somebody vetted this person. You know, like surely the school vetted them right. or surely they're not just a random person. I think you also draw the conclusions like they're good with kids. They must be around kids. The being around kids that often must make them very trustworthy. Exactly. You know, it just all feeds into itself. Yeah. I mean, not for nothing. Um, it, just today, a big, a big article in the New York Times came out. Sex abuse claims against Boy Scouts now surpasses 82,000. Oh my God, yeah, I saw that. Far surpassing the number of claims filed in Catholic Church cases. Not to make one, they're all obviously terrible. One case is too many cases. But just the idea of like any, any institution where you leave your kids alone with people that you're supposed to be able to trust is going to be infiltrated by people who manipulate that system to their own advantage yeah. um yeah it's just it, it's a scary world out there because you want to be like okay well you can't trust anybody don't leave your kid alone with anybody but then a lot of abuse comes from inside families too so i mean it's it's this is the other frustrating part about this episode is i'm sure it's the best they could do at the time and it's a really necessary thing i grew up um with a, in a military family and my parents never had this talk with me because we lived on military bases and they figured they could trust everybody on a military base, uh, until I, I think I got, I, I got into the car with what I thought was a stranger at one time. Like as soon as we moved off of military bases, I was in New Mexico and it was raining and somebody pulled up and they're like, get it. And I was like, okay. And <laughs> And like got in the back seat, and they drove me home. And it turned out to be like uh, the, the father of one of the one of my friends. But 
I, I don't know him. <laughs> I got home and I was like, this guy gave me a ride. And they're like, who? And I'm like, I don't know. And my parents are like, well, let's sit down and have a little talk then. <laughs> we need to discuss something here. You yes. Know, yeah. Doing I mean, well, it, there's no doubt that you have to have, you have to have this kind of a talk with your kid. And if the, if you truly need this episode, different strokes to kick it off, then use whatever tools are at your disposal. I just wish we didn't have such terrible jokes and such this terrible laugh track going yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Cause otherwise um, it is a pretty good representation of how the grooming relationship goes in such a way yep. that I think that you could watch it with your kid and be like, look, if look, someone ever gives yeah. you special presents and tells you to keep, to hang out with them and not tell me. And you know, like you could, you could, you could parlay this into sort of, um, you could reinterpret this episode into an actual instruction guide. Exactly. You really could. I just don't know why they had to go back in and shoehorn in all these terrible jokes, especially especially at the end of this episode where all of the jokes are at Dudley's expense. Lord so Dudley is there. standing there shirtless doing this Tarzan game while a creeper takes pictures of him and Arnold, his best friend, makes fun of his body mercilessly. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That seems like one thing too many. Like one of those things we don't need. It's so off the topic. It's so incredibly like, hey, everybody, um, we need to watch out for this very special issue. Uh-oh, cream pie in the face. Arnold it's being Arnold. Like, yeah, it's like if Amber Alerts came with like a confetti function. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, um, that was the worst. Yeah, it's... Cool. It's just not. It's just not necessary. Um, going back to the the AV Club Roundtable, one of the article, one of the writers who really, really does not like this episode, said um, the jokes and staging are the exact same kind of dumb mechanical crap you'd be getting if the episode was about Arnold wanting a puppy. Mm. That's all the people who ground this thing out know, know how to do. So that's what they do. Even encouraging the audience to laugh. And punching up the sweet and laugh track when the kids are looking at the porn rag the pervert has left out for them. Ha yeah. ha, that's our adorable naughty Arnold. So it yeah, it's like we it need doesn't, to it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't work. Arnold yeah. isn't doing this and then where they will eventually land is this isn't your fault, child. But the sentiment behind it is, well, he's a precocious kid, and if he wasn't so precocious, you know, he wouldn't have gotten into this trouble like Arnold oft do. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's it's and it just gets more and more bonker balls in the next episode. And it's bonkers because right at the beginning, the beginning of this season was the episode that we did called Shootout at the OK Arcade, which is has the least stakes possible. It's like a vegetarian steakhouse. Truly. There are no steaks. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, this is an upsetting episode and uh for everybody who wrote in and uh, really, you know, with good intentions, recommended that we do this episode or some other ones, and we were like, I don't know if that's a good idea. I think we're, we're hitting the, the, the thing where it's like, there's only so much joking you can do about how misguided a thing is before you're just talking about a horrible subject. But uh, I promise that uh, in the next episode, we'll get some classic Andy misunderstandings <laughs> about, about how this episode actually went. Um, and, you know, we'll tie this all up and then we won't have to talk about it anymore. Yeah. There's that to look forward to people. You'll never have to hear about this or from us ever again. <laughs> Just hang in there one more episode, folks. That's our guarantee to you. 
so yes, obviously next week we're going to be uh, talking about the second part of this episode. Again, it's worth watching as disturbing as it is, just so you're on the same page and maybe you'll commiserate with our difficulty in getting Woof. getting through this. Um, but yeah, we've, we've left on a cliffhanger and uh, next week we'll talk about how it wraps up. All right, we'll see you then. Bye. Bring snacks. Bring, bring resolve. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.